Hello there, and welcome. I'm the movie Morlock, James Kent. Uh, thanks for listening. And, of course, uh, moviemorlock.com is a place you can go to catch all the episodes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, so check them out there. Tell your friends, your family. And also, you can uh, write to me at moviemorlock at gmail.com. All right, uh, so special thanks to my guest uh, last episode, Shannon. That was great, um, and I wish her well on her journey to finishing up some more horror movies uh, for this month. Definitely check her out on Instagram at What Shannon Watched. And now, this is exciting. Uh, he's been on the program once before when it was stuff we've seen, and he is back now to entertain me. Uh, this is a man who helps run this uh, film festival up north in California. The Cambria Film Festival usually happens in February. I think that's when it's happening again in 2022. And he is a good old uh, fashioned ice cream scooper from Ben & Jerry's long ago. It's our friend Al Frazier. Hello, Al. Hey, James. Uh, good to be here. Thank you uh, for having me. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fun. Uh, before we got on, we caught up a little bit. So, uh, well, we didn't go into ice cream scooping days. <laughs> we try to forget about those. <laughs> I just eat ice cream now. So, you know, I don't know about you. I always wonder, like, who did we serve? Because because we you know we we worked in the um, in Century City, so there was a lot of famous faces that came through and uh, definitely a lot of famous faces that I, that I served and remember, but I wonder a, who were the famous people like the executives, the producers, the directors that we served that we had no idea that they were there. And who were the people that would someday become famous that passed our uh, doorstep that we had no idea that we were serving? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sure there was a it would be a long list if you could somehow collate that. Yeah, it's um, it's L.A. and that's what's so funny about it is like you can just be driving down the street, you know, look over and and there there's somebody, you know, the right right in the car across from you or coming up to get an ice cream at Ben and Jerry's and kind of do that thing, and then you do the L.A. thing where you don't acknowledge that you know who they are <laughs> or you do. That's what, yes. I remember doing that. Uh, it would, I, I don't, I, I feel like I told this story, but maybe I didn't is the one time that that happened where the person came in and they totally wanted to be recognized, not obnoxiously, but like I was playing it so straight that they couldn't believe that I'm like, hello, I'm right in front of you. You're not recognizing me. And I never broke uh, broke character was Jill Clayburgh. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> she just was so desperate for me to be like, um, you don't know who I am? Hello? And I just, you know, I, I, I almost, I almost, when I, when she was walking away, I almost said, have a good day, Jill. But I didn't say that. Just so she knew that I, I knew who she was. The person would come in all the time because um, I think she just worked next door was Tracy Ullman. And she was so – like, it was hard to spot her because she – when she's not in one of the characters and stuff. Because she was still doing the Tracy Ullman show at the time. No, I didn't know that. I, I don't remember. And she worked that. at you know, Fox. It was, like, right next door. Oh, I thought you meant she worked at the Italian restaurant next door. <laughs> no, I'm talking about she worked next door at the – She worked at the Fox. You know, I mean, this was Century City. It was, like, a working place. So she was probably, you know, taking a break, and then she'd come over – and I'd say so I would recognize her, but never, ever, you know, introduced myself or said, hey, Tracy, you know. 
That's cool. Yeah, it's funny because I the one the one that surprised me the most, um, and I think I told this story on, when I was on before, and sorry to repeat myself, um, was I was cleaning up, and you remember there was that period of time where if there was so much as a, a sparkle or a, a sprinkle, sorry, sparkles, a sprinkle on the ground, man, you got yelled at the next day, or you got a nasty note from our. Wait, our, remember uh, a time? It was all the time. <laughs> there wasn't a time where that wasn't a thing. If you had anything, John would freak out at you. Yeah, uh, Fanny Pack John would be like, hey, you know, there's a, there a sprinkle down in the crack underneath the thing, and you'd already been there for three hours, and you had to get back there the next day. That's like, you know, the whole thing about movies, that's like, it should be part of the, the thing. Like, the, the sort of, like, the, the taming of the set, so you don't have to have turnaround times and all that kind of stuff. Well, they didn't think about the ice cream workers who were out there cleaning Ben & Jerry's. But anyways, I was there late one night cleaning, and a guy came up late, said, hey, can I get a scoop? And I, I, oh, man, sorry, we're closed. And I look up, and it's Ron Howard. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Because <laughs> you know, it was late. I mean, it was we were closed, and I don't know what time it was. Obviously, your story with Tracy Ellman is he's got an office there and came down to get an ice cream or something or go for a walk. And here I was scooping. And, uh, yeah, nice guy. I mean. That was another one that came in. It was actually the only embarrassing time for me was, uh, well, Richie Cunningham's dad there. Was it Tom Bosley? No. Was that his name? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Cunningham, I was in the middle. You know how there was, the, there was two sides of it, the one that was in the food court, and then there was the one that was facing the movie theater. And then you had the in-between part where, you know, where the ice cream uh, freezer was and where you'd make cakes and you'd clean up and everything. So I was in there for whatever reason. Maybe I was getting one of the, the big boxes of ice cream out of the freezer and somebody, it, it was like an afternoon. It was pretty busy. And somebody said, oh my God, uh, 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 Cunningham's dad's here. Right. And I'm like, no. And I come running out and I go, there's no Mr. Cunningham. And there he was. <laughs> and I said that right in front of him and I had to serve him. It was so embarrassing. Oh, no, I'm sure. But it was, that. I mean, but like for us, like those, I mean, those are the people we worshiped. I mean, happy days meant so much to me as a little kid to yeah. see like Mr. Cunningham right there in front of my face. It was the best. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, probably should switch from ice cream to, to movies at some point. It's kind of funny when I, when you kind of were put the call out for guests, I said, yeah, I, I, let me fun. I'd like to come on. And, uh, we were texting and I just said, Hey, have you seen the movie, the platform? And like you said, and then it, it didn't quite go back and forth. And then you said, well, if you want to do that movie, the platform, let's do it. And I'm like, Oh God, do I want to do the movie, the platform again? <laughs> <laughs> hey, would you like to see that? Talk about that movie, the platform? No, you do. I don't really want to talk about that. <laughs> well, it's more, do I want to experience it again? Um, and then since it became the movie we were going to talk about, I said, yeah, all right, let's do this because I actually kind of wanted to revisit it because there's a lot to chew on in this film. And, uh, uh, you know, it, <laughs> and now seeing it again, it's like, whoa, <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. it's, it, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot that can be put on, um, the times we live in, of course. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, how do you want to get started into the platform? Uh, well, so for people, you know, it was like, you know, we know what the platform is cause we've watched it, but, uh, I'll give this out to the listener. 
The Platform is a 2019 movie. It's a Spanish film uh, with subtitles. Or I guess you could probably turn on the um, the automatic dubbing feature if it does even have that. But it's uh, it's a Netflix offering. Um, so, I mean, Netflix didn't produce it. But they, they, one thing I do like about Netflix is they tend to get a lot of interesting foreign movies, international films, I guess is what we're saying these days. And... So they offer them to audiences who might never experience a, a film like this. Um, and, of course, they've just had this monster smash with Squid Game, which is a uh, South Korean offering. And again, you're getting tons and tons of audience in the United States that probably would never have watched something like this before. And maybe they watched the dub version, but I watched uh, the subtitle version of Squid Game. And I mentioned that because the Squid Game is, has a lot of similarities with this uh, movie, the platform, which is the reason why I'm mentioning is that if you like the Squid Game, you might want to check this movie, the platform out because it has uh, some similar themes. Uh, the idea of like, times we live in, or I guess this is some sort of unknown future state, maybe a little dystopian society where the haves and the have-nots, uh, the have-nots really don't have much. So sometimes they're willing to cash in a lot of their chips for potential betterment. Um, I mean, in the Squid Game, people are cashing in for potentially a lot of money. Uh, the platform, I don't think that uh, the aspirations are as high. <laughs> necessarily for these people yeah no they're not uh just it's a matter of survival it's a matter of how much do you give away i don't want to like uh, uh, ruin anybody who's going to watch this but it's about can you survive in this environment this this hole we can tell you can tell everybody what the platform is for a certain amount of time and when you get out you may be rewarded with something it could be like our our, our protagonist as a central character not as a hero he wants, he's going to get a college education somehow. No, I don't know. He's going to get a degree, which I thought was really Yeah, funny. he's going to get a degree, which, which of course, will hopefully better his chances out there in the real world. Right. Which is a very good idea, right? Yeah. And so people vol- – so the, 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 the kind of key thing is, is that there's like a carrot being dangled uh, – for people. I guess it's sort of like the idea of like a scratch ticket in a sense that you're dangling the potential for a lot of money, but you might have to spend way more than you're ever going to make. But these people dangle this opportunity, and I guess it's different opportunities for different people. And in some cases, it's maybe people or prison prisoners who have uh, an opportunity for redemption or reduced sentence or to get out if they go in and everybody has a different contract with different amounts of time that they spend in this thing called the whole. And of course, these people don't, I guess, read any fine print. They don't seem to really know what they're going to get into until they actually show up. And that's the case of this uh, protagonist, this guy. And again, it's Spanish, so I don't know all the names properly, but I think his name is Goring. Goring, yeah. And uh, so he wakes up, right? And he's in this very strange environment with one other uh, person in this, uh, I guess we'll call it a cell or something. Uh, and that guy's name is, uh, his character's name is Tremagazi. And it's an older man. And that guy's going to sort of serve as your um, information dump. He's going to give all the information about what's going on inside this uh, this cell that this Goring guy has signed up for, which I think he signed up for six months, I, I want to say. I'm not sure. 
Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Six or, six or seven, something like that. And, and he wants to quit smoking, right? Right. And uh, another interesting um, aspect of this is every person who goes into this environment gets to bring one thing. And he is going to quit smoking and he's going to read Don Quixote. So he's got a whole different sort of uh, mindset going into this than, than many of the other people, which, of course, he doesn't know going in what this thing is, as you said. Yeah, I mean, some people bring uh, weapons in and, uh, you know, pretty quickly he discovers that it might have been more um, resourceful for him if he had brought a weapon. <laughs> that, that, that That's something that might be helpful here. But, I mean, again, we're talking about a movie and, and certainly anybody that says, okay, I've heard enough, I'm interested – they don't have to listen further in case there's some spoilers because there will be, you know, some plot spoilers. Uh, essentially, what he discovers is there is this floating platform. Uh, we don't need to know necessarily how it floats. Maybe there's some kind of like magnetic uh, thing that operates it. But it drops down from the sky, so to speak, once a day for two minutes. And it has a huge platform full of food or leftovers of food and scraps of food. And what you quickly learn is that one time a day, you get to eat whatever's on here and you get two minutes. And if you take the food off when the platform goes down and you say, you're oh, I want to grab food and I'm going to keep it, your cell will either get extremely hot or freezing cold until you get rid of that food, throw it down the center because it's like there's a big center inside this uh, each cell and then you also quickly learn that each level has two people on it we can call them prisoners i guess because um, you certainly can't leave and you're there for i think 30 days i want to say in this particular um, level and then after the 30 days or whatever the time period is gas is released you're knocked out and you wake up kind of like maybe they clean you up a little bit and you are on another level. And so the trick is that, and this is sort of like a societal hierarchy, the top level is zero. And that is the kitchen where all the food is cooked. And they will cook up extravagant meals. And I mean, it's huge amount of food and it's all gourmet. And then it starts getting lowered. And it starts with cell one, two, three, four, all the way down you know, couple hundred, not, not everybody knows exactly how many there is because every month you wake up on a different level and there's no rhyme or reason, at least that you know of why you're on a particular level. The problem is that there is enough food to feed every single person in this structure, provided everybody just decides to take what they need. But that isn't how things work in a society. So it almost feels like there's like in a big experiment going on in, in how human behavior works. And I think that's what suddenly makes it very interesting where depending on the level you're at, you may or may not get any food and day after day, you're going to starve. And what are you going to do to survive, right? That's like the big crux of the, uh, the show <laughs> is what are you going to do to survive? What are you willing to do? And what I guess your moral compass, how far will you bend it in order to survive? Exactly. And, and um, the, the, the platform of food that comes down is, uh, is just a feast. I mean, so it, it's, it's, it's gloriously prepared and they go to great lengths to show you how it's prepared. 
and it's this beautiful spread of food and it's um you know the guy the head chef is you know yells at the people like gordon ramsay and chews people out <laughs> to get this thing just right and it's it's gourmet it's beautiful um but then you know after a couple of floors it starts to be sort of torn apart because you know the idea is you might have been on whatever floor 100 and you could barely barely survive but if you woke up on floor five or six or seven you're gonna you're gonna chow down and you're gonna you know get your calories to to survive to wherever you're gonna wake up at the next level. So there, there's a real advantage to some experience um, as you know when he wakes up for the first time when Goring wakes up for the first time and and learns from his first cellmate you know what's going on and he sort of shares some information but doesn't share everything. Yeah, it's very uh, yeah it's interesting the whole setup and the premise. Uh, what when the food runs out? Well, I can't remember. Was it a floor well, fifty-one? Pending, it can be a few floors more. But like, yeah, I mean, that's just how greedy people are. Plus, people who now have been there, if they survive different levels, they realize when they're on a high level that they're going to have to kind of bulk up if they get on a lower level. So they end up eating more than they should. Which again, the more you take, the less you are going to leave for other people right and, and the characters that he's paired with the, the people he's uh, the people that end up he's paired with are really i think the filmmaker's way of kind of showing different shades of humanity yes you've got the first guy who just plain says uh, it's greedy i'm greedy whatever you're going to take what you can get i'm going to i'm going to piss on the food as it goes down to the next thing uh, just as they would piss on my food uh, as it comes down to me. So it's all about the you know the levels of society and how the people above aren't exactly going to invite you up to their level to enjoy what they enjoy, and the people below, uh, this guy who's you know greedy, um, he's going to shit on because he has an advantage. Yeah, and he's and he's that that classic. I mean, it's very much like, hey, I'm in it for me. I don't care about anybody else. I am. I, my goal is to survive. And you need to kind of adopt this attitude if you want to survive in here. And he doesn't think that the lead guy is going to survive. That's his his take is he doesn't think that uh, he's got a fighting chance. And, of course, there's some stuff he knows that this other guy doesn't. And, uh, you know, again, this is a tough movie to talk about in that there's lots of twists and turns and surprises along the way. And you don't, of course, want to spoil them. But uh, it is definitely entertaining and I think had – Let's say I had not just watched the Squid Game. I think I would have been even more surprised and entertained, but it is very, very similar in a lot of the themes. But then I think it makes a nice compliment to the Squid Game. And at a fraction of the time, by the way, this is only an hour and a half versus the eight or nine episodes of the Squid Game. Yeah, which which I devoured and felt sort of like uh, the, squid, the Squid Game, that is um, – like it came right up and I was like, Oh, I watched the beginning of this like early one morning and then had it done in two days or something because I was so kind of enthralled and kind of mortified by it. And then just needed yes. to know what was going to happen. Um, so I feel like that's across the board what happened because the swim game became this phenomena. This movie, I don't think will, despite the fact that squid game is brutal and it's violent, I don't see this film being admired in such a way because it's 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 brutal in, in a different way it's it's, it's <laughs> yeah. gory and it's awful and the the idea of of who we are as people 
that when we're forced against the wall or we're forced to have scarce resources, become animals in a bar a way that we feel like is barbaric because we're not put in that that place. But you know, animals fighting for the scraps of food wherever they may be, that's life. That's what that's what has that has to happen to survive, and that's what has to happen to survive this. So, this film there's cannibalism. There's there's killing to to eat. There's um, uh, imprisonment to eat, and it's 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 a lot to take in. So you know it's not for the fan of heart, and I don't think it's necessarily for everybody who really liked the, who enjoyed the Squid Game. But if you really want to get into something kind of kind of deep and and, and thought provoking and man you know surprising as you said, I there's there's times in here I like well <laughs> didn't expect that. <laughs> That was that was the best part of the movie for me was that it, it with the environment it created it did a lot of unexpected things and I think um, you know maybe got a little heavy handed on theme and things like that occasionally but overall it, it's a movie that's about something is surprising and is well done for for the um, environment and the story that it tells. Well, that was so that you know you just said something about where the, the heavy handedness. I think ultimately where it got knocked down a little bit for me was I was not a fan of the ending mm-hmm. of the movie. I just didn't like. I thought it was a little you know again a little aspirational, a little thematic. It just didn't work for me. The ending that I thought it was going for was an ending I thought I would have liked a lot more, and that would that had to do with that panna cotta mm-hmm. and. Like so, what the plan was with that panna cotta? I think that could have made a very interesting ending if we actually got up to level zero and that panna cotta was presented, and then it went to blank or something. I think that would have been interesting to me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I I, I do think it reached for something, and and part of that, without away, giving away too much, is there's a child involved, which you know obviously represents innocence and hope for the future, and. I, I agree that that just didn't kind of get there for me. But I think there's a little bit of openness to the ending that you could think like, well, there's a couple ways you could maybe take it. But I would have liked to seen that ending that you just described because it would have been a, uh, it would have been interesting to see what happened. And and part of that, so one thing we haven't really talked about is what do they call it? The administration. There's a whole bunch of the movie that like you could have a sequel to explore a lot of things that are kind of not explored yet in this movie which is fine i didn't have a problem with it i'm just saying that it opens up the door that i kind of want to learn more about the inner workings of this whole thing absolutely it's in in the idea that the um it's like a um probably some sort of totalitarian dictatorial world where they call it the administration and if you work for the administration you might be able to get favors and we could talk about that the one character who may have gotten favors who worked for the administration yeah and, uh, you know, the, the administration can grant you a college degree if, if they so choose. But it's uh, some things are talked about as far as this environment where the platform is in, in these 333 levels, that it's um, a, a test case scenario for, for solid area or for what humans will do. And I find that part really interesting to think about. And there's a couple lines in there. The, the, so one character, one of his, um, Goring's, his second cellmate if you will is a character who tries to bring in socialism saying there's enough food for everybody if we just ration and food will get all the way down to the bottom and um so there's there's a discussion about that 
And Goring at one point says, well, you know, so the idea is that maybe the administration is testing out the idea of solidarity. And, and his idea was, well, maybe they're trying to figure out a way to fight it if there is such a thing as solidarity outside of the platform of outside of this world, the whole actually, which I found really kind of interesting and, and you know, that this could be just a, a rat in a cage kind of thing. Well, that's why I think, I mean, you know, again, it's just interesting timing where we have the squid game and then I see this platform and they both are speaking of these, you know, the injustices and inequalities, um, human nature. Uh, this particular movie, the platform reminded me, uh, not from a visual standpoint, but just some of the themes again of Snowpiercer. Oh yeah. 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 So it reminded me a lot of Snowpiercer. Uh, there's another Spanish film I haven't seen, but I guess there's some similarities to the platform is called The Method. And I might seek that out and see if that's available. Then, of course, there's the Saw series, which I've ever, I've never watched the Saw series. I always feel like that's just not my cup of tea. But it still is that idea that humans, to get out of whatever situation they've been put in, what will they do to each other in order to survive for themselves? Right. And then, of course, from a visual standpoint and the idea that you can kind of create a movie that feels very cinematic but not really very different from a location idea is that movie from the 90s, Cube, where you have a lot of people all stuck in a cube and they have to figure out how to get out and they keep getting into different rooms that look exactly like the same room they were just in. Yeah, I remember that. I never saw that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's good. It's kind of, it has a platform vibe to it. Um, so I feel like there's a little bit of a genre here that uh, is interesting. And, I, and like I said, I didn't care for the way this platform ended. However, I liked the ride. Like And like, is it, it was not pleasant, but I mean, I enjoyed what it was talking about and the different things that happened along the way. And I think the lead guy who, the actor is a Spanish actor, Ivan Masag, he he was really good. I liked him. And I think if you don't like the lead character, that makes it harder. So he was really somebody I, I, you could identify with. Absolutely. You, you, he's, he, was, he was great. And I, I think that his, um, you know, building his character kind of as the, initially he's sort of can't possibly um, accept what's going on around him and what Trimagasi says or, or explains. And then he learns that this is how this environment that he's now put in operates. What's he going to do? You know, he's the guy that represents most of us who have decent morals and, and a, an idea of, of, of maybe we need to work together, that kind of a thing. What, what, what would happen to us? So I feel like he represents a large portion of the audience. And of course, uh, without giving away too much, you know, he can't survive with that. He can't survive for a while, I guess, in, in a way, in the end, he sort of does. But no, because his, his character turns and, and, and becomes something else. Um, you can't be that person in this environment when it's dog eat dog. You have to kill or eat to survive. Well, now, of course, and again, this is tough. Like I said, if people are intrigued enough and they want to go and skip forward a couple of minutes, there's something that I do want to talk to you about. And it does bring into something. So there's this character, uh, Maiharu, and she was played by Alexandra Masaganki. She is a prisoner who seems to be insane, who uh, from month to month will jump on to the food platform and may show up in another cell looking for a child that she thinks is hers. And people think she's crazy. But 
what is interesting is it does, again, this movie leaves you with a lot of questions. It's a puzzle that you can't always figure out. And based on what happens at the end of the movie, you are left wondering, well, how long do you think she was in here? It could have been years. Let's just say what happens at the end isn't just metaphorical, but it was, so mean, could she, could she have been pregnant when she went in there and somehow she's been able to survive all these years and things like that? I mean, you don't know. I mean, but it's just an interesting idea that people could be in this environment for a very long time. Yeah, that, that I never occurred to me. Yeah, that, that, that is possible. I think it would be difficult for her to, for anybody to survive that long based on how many times you might actually end up on a level where the food doesn't reach you? Well, but you know, but they're not the but they're they're not in control of that. The uh, the administration is the puppet masters, right? And right. if it's a part of an experiment, maybe this was an experiment that they put in, and so maybe she's been given high levels for a very long time. Well, that's true. Yeah, as 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 part of the experiment. Yeah, interesting. I never thought of that. And and, and the the character that comes in, what is it? Imaguri? Is that? Yes, Imaguri. Yep, she's the administrator that is now here, and she has the dog. Yeah, she comes in with a very kind of um, high sense of morality in that we're going to, she's going to make it work, and she's going to prove that this, that people can uh, work together to survive, and um, there's, she, she doesn't have any success. Nobody below her will will listen to her and only eat sort of a small ration so that the people below them can have a small ration and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She's put to the test or her ideas are put to the test. And, and you know, it becomes a thing where the only way for socialism or anything like a socialistic idea to survive is through violence. And I thought mm. that was really interesting when they, Moving forward, when he gets his, his third cellmate, um, they decide to try to beat the system or, or send a message to the administration that, that people will survive or, or that maybe humanity will survive, uh, but they have to do it through violence. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that's weird. That's interesting to think about that. So this would be a great uh, film for people to watch in a uh, college-level social class <laughs> social sciences yeah yeah social science class then can, can there be a socialism without some sort of um hierarchy in place to <laughs> to demand the socialism you know or even an or even an ethics class right um so you know this movie and i think that's what's great and it's probably why you 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 said hey we should watch it, is that here in a nice little hour and a half package even though it's not perfection it gives us a lot to just talk about as a movie and not every movie you watch and it's like, Oh yeah, I had fun. And then two days later, you're like, I watched something a couple of days ago and I can't remember what it was, but you watch a film like this and you definitely remember it a week or so later and it doesn't leave you. Yeah. And I turned it on the first time I watched it, I turned it on because you know, it came up in my feed because I watch you know, crime stuff and some other dark stuff. So of course they gave me this so I checked it out and I started it and I watched the whole thing. You know, it was like <laughs> I had stuff to do and I, well, this, you know, got my list of things to do for the day, but I'm, I'm there by myself and I turn it on and well, oh my gosh, I got to watch this. And I couldn't, the first time I couldn't turn it off. It just, it was so, um, oh, just intense and disturbing and, and powerful and, you know, we're really well made. I mean, I, I, you know, I agree with some things that didn't quite, 
the story didn't quite work, but I really think think what they did with the camera and certainly the sound. Wow, um, th there was some just great great sound cues and, and and some some music in there that really plays and just found it enthralling. And well, and, I felt uh, like it was. It did feel like a real place, right? It didn't feel like oh, I'm watching a little movie set. You kind of forget. You get lost in that environment that's set up. And how interesting it would it would have been to like kind of like. You know, I I haven't really done any homework on this, and I, I'd like to learn a little bit about the director and find out, you know, what his intentions were and if there's any sort of additional information out there. But uh, how interesting to have this premise and this idea and then be pitched it, you know, like if you're one of the actors or if you're one of the crew members or anything, and, and you can learn about this thing that you're going to be a part of in this day and age more than anything, because yeah. there's so few... And, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see more from overseas than we see here now, but there seems to be so few movies that come across w where I'm viewing now, which is limited, that have ideas at the core, which this movie does. This movie is about ideas more than anything. Well, I mean, I think that's uh, the, the, on the positive side, right? When Hollywood was running out of ideas as you say and it was becoming you know studio thing after studio thing this was the 50s into the 60s and what was happening is audiences started turning away but part of it was because the studio system was constrained under against the code and other aspects and what was happening is people were discovering international cinema which didn't have those rules and they were starting to go to them saying wow look at this content and ideas and you know you had like uh bergman and fellini and all of these different directors and people were seeing these things and that helped change hollywood right because the people who wanted to make the next generation of movies were watching those films and so then the the code broke down you got the ratings and then you had that period of the late 60s all through the 70s where you had a lot of interesting movies. And then, you know, there's always interesting movies from the decades on. But I think slowly but surely, Hollywood has engulfed itself and started turning out that same amount of product. And now you're getting most of the interesting stuff sort of relegated to streaming television and not necessarily as much in theaters, which is interesting because when – we can all make a movie technically on our iPhone or whatever. There should have been this great democracy of being able to make all these incredible films, but we're still waiting for all those incredible films, right? So everybody has the access, but I don't, but you know, maybe that stifles all the ideas or something. You know, there are people out there who want to make films that are about something. However, even if you make that film, and this, I'm talking from the film festival circuit, and we've had some films, you know, that we've screened that not to say that they're, they're anything like the platform or anything. Cause the, our film festival is, you know, romance and romantic comedies and films that look at the complexities of love. Um, so we do have, we have some dramatic films and, and some intense films, but obviously nothing like the, the platform, but there's no outlet. There's no, you know, you can, you can put it into different platforms yourself and some money will trickle in based on views, but it becomes like anything you have to then create your own publicity and figure out how to get people to see this film. There was a little window of time back there when, when we were, you know, into this, this whole movie thing where clerks, Brothers McMullen and these films that were made for next to nothing. Yeah, they got released and they caught on and 
and and then they became something and these launched a whole generation of directors oh slacker that's what i was looking for you know and they're, they're they were cool and they were they were interesting and they were they were there wasn't much production value in many of these things but they were great to see so, something other than the blockbusters of that generation or the teen sex comedies or the horror films. These films were like voices, people with voices telling stories. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I, I feel like sometimes a broken record, but I, I think one of the things that happened and it's weird is that as technology got better, you would think that that would give more access to these independent filmmakers and that you'd start seeing more of the content. But I think the reverse is that the more, sort of high quality, an independent, you know, very low budget movie could make itself look. I think it like maybe took away from some of the sort of inspired filmmaking that had to happen when you only had so much film you could shoot because you had such a low budget and there was a look to those movies and you could only see them in theaters, right? If they got really, you got to art theaters, but then because things, once digital came over, I, I feel... And it's not my opinion, it's just how I think things went. Those films don't feel special enough to be in a theater anymore by the powers that be. And it's so much easier to just put them on, like you said, a streaming platform where they just get lost in a web. So a lot of there's like more content, more opportunities for these independent filmmakers, perhaps to have their work somewhere. That's not just at a festival, but it doesn't necessarily going to translate into an audience finding it. And we don't have that same audience going to movies and talking about them. I mean, I just remember going to movies and always talking, calling my friends saying, oh yeah, did you see this? Oh yeah. What about that? Is this good and that good? Having those conversations. And I don't know if that happens as much anymore, which is one of the reasons why I started this podcast in the first place with originally with Teal, because we used to love to have those conversations. Absolutely. And I, I agree hundred percent. Finding a, finding a, a quirky, weird, small movie or foreign film was like finding a band you liked, you know, you go to the record store and you're like, Oh, that looks kind of cool. But you couldn't listen to it. You had to take it home or maybe you heard a song on the radio or something and you played it and you're like, Oh, this is, this is rad. This is so good. And it's the same thing with these movies is um, it was a sense of discovery and it wasn't just there sitting, you know, like, uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's funny because we both have kids. My, my son's 11 and um, I'm starting to hear music coming from his room that I was like, hey, that's my, you know, that's one of my bands, man. Where'd you find that? And he can just discover any kind of music um, at any point in time so easily yeah. and so readily. There's no real work for it. And, I don't know if that means it's any less special or something, but he he just, you know, digests music and it's gone, you know, like where I, I really kind of, when I found a band, man, I go get the next album and all that. It took a lot of time and energy and I really spent a lot of time with it. And maybe that's just different these days. And, and I don't know. Yeah, it is. Um, but that's why I like that, you know, again, I guarantee you, as this moment, I would not have seen the platform had you not reached out and said that. And that's part of the mission that I want to do with this new program, the movie Morlock, is whenever possible, if a somebody out there, a listener, suggests a movie or something, uh, like uh, last week, Shannon had said, hey, I want to talk about The Wicker Man. Now, I'd seen The Wicker Man uh, many times, but it was just a great opportunity to, to focus in on one movie. But now you were talking about you know film festivals, and I don't want to let you go without getting a little bit of an update on 
your film festival, the Cambria Film Festival, that I I think was virtual last year, but you're going to have it back in person this year coming up? There's a shift in the landscape because of COVID and film festivals. And I think a lot of film festivals kind of left with a decision on, well, I'm sure it depends on where you are ge- geographically and then you yeah. know, what your take is on COVID of going in person and when, actually when you when you have your festival too is, is a determinant. But um, because we went virtual last year and everybody, our core audience really liked the option of having the ability to stay at home and watch some films, they, they really liked it. So we are both virtual and in person, which is kind of interesting because it's in a sense really multiplied the amount of work we have to do in, in yeah. setting everything up. And so there's a lot more to it. Um, but it will give us a greater reach um, and it will allow some of our audience who to do both. You know, our, our people here in Cambria or who come to visit uh, Cambria during the film festival can um, – Want, go to a movie and you know or go to one of the the, the parties or something else and, and then go home and watch more films and really be able to see everything that we offer whereas to do that and, and Craig Watson may have been one of the few people who actually saw everything that we tried to you know put out there um, you really would have to kind of take a seat and sit there for three days um, which is great because that's what film festivals are all about and uh, yeah a lot of things and then you go and you walk out of the theater and you talk about it but being a hybrid festival now um it's kind of a shift where we get a little bit of both but we can also try to get a bit of an audience from from places beyond you know our our location so that's nice so this will be interesting this year because it's a hybrid so you don't know yet who's going to show up versus who's going to just watch online yeah yeah that's that's one of the the interesting things is you know and like trying to get your 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 independent film out there we try to get our film festival out there and and publicity is hard um but we don't know you know how many people will will log in and watch online versus how many people will show will we get similar numbers that we used to have for in-person screenings and we're small you know we this year we have two two main screens um what a capacity of 110 and the second one's a capacity about 50 depending on how we lay it out so we're not a big festival in, in any way, but you know we'd have some sellouts um, previously, and, and hopefully that people will come back to the theaters and, and kind of enjoy the experience of seeing a movie with an audience and um, having a conversation about it afterwards. So, what is the dates of the festival this year for you know for anybody listening? It's like, hey, yeah, February third through the sixth, and we are online, so we would love to have you buy an online pass or buy um, a you know, online ticket to see a film or, or whatever you thought was interesting. It'd be great to have some people all over the country, you know, checking this out and uh, there's great films. And, you know, as we were talking, this is a sort of a, it's another level of film that I've always appreciated because I've kind of, uh, I've, I've been in that world a little bit enough to know that there's value of a different kind in these, in these movies and you get so used to like this level of expectation, whether it be, you know, some sort of a, a superhero movie and you got to have all the effects and you got to have all the, everything exploding and, and all that. But there's another kind of film that, that you can really hear as we talked about somebody's voice. And I think that's what we look for. Um, films that have a voice that, that are within the sort of realm of our, our genre. Um, you know, there's a lot of horror 
film festivals out there. You can look up film festival and horror, and then you're going to see tons of horror <laughs> film festivals. So we're like, let's do a horror, let's do a film festival about love. That would be pretty cool. And uh, there's a few other ones, and a couple ones have popped up since we got started. So uh, you know, maybe it's a sign of the times that uh, there's a little more love in the world. <laughs> well, yeah, well, people are, yeah, people are looking for something that is warm and friendly after the past couple of years. And, you know, you never know. I am, my my hope and desire is that I might be able to come out uh, for it this year. We'll have to see, but I, but I, it's it's on my docket of something that I want to do. So you never know. You might see me at this particular film festival. I think that could be fun, get a chance to meet some of the filmmakers behind these movies. Yeah, we would love to have you. It'd be super cool to do um, some sort of a live or whatever recording of, or maybe you could do some interviews or something for the movie Morlock. It would be really neat. Um, it would be great. Cool. Well, I'm not going to keep you because I know you got a lot going on, um, but I really do thank you for coming on and talking about this movie, The Platform, um, and then hearing a little bit about the Cambria Film Festival. Uh, for everybody, again, this is Al Frazier, and uh, it is the Cambria Film Festival, so you can check that out online. Um, and again, look for information about registering to watch the films virtual. If you're not somewhere, you can get to see them live. But otherwise, it's a beautiful place in Northern California. Is it's Northern California, right? I mean, sort of central north, I guess. We're central. We're actually, San Luis Obispo is sort of the main town here in the county. And it, we're, it's a small, I mean, the Cambria is only five or 6,000 people. Um, and I think slow San Luis Obispo is, gosh, I'm going to get this wrong, but 20, 25,000 or something, maybe a little bit more. We're, San Luis Obispo is the dead center between San Francisco and Los Angeles. The famous Madonna Inn is there. Yes, yes, yes. We are, yeah, you got to get a piece of Madonna Inn cake. We are a dead center and it's a beautiful stretch of the country. You know, it's a, it's a really great place to visit. I've been through it. Um, I don't know if I've been through Cambria, but I mean, I've been up in that area and I've actually stayed at the Madonna Inn once years ago. So, did you have a theme room? Do you remember what your theme I room was? I did. I had like, uh, I don't want to say it was like the safari room or something. <laughs> and I had one of those rock showers. <laughs> yeah, I got, you know, was, I, I had booked it all up. Uh, it, this was many years ago, uh, like early, early 2000s. Um, and then I just recently watched some movie, like it was like some schlock movie from uh, Turner Classic Movies or something that was on uh, one of their late night programs. It had Robert Forster in it. I think it's called Stuntman or something. And it, a lot of it was filmed at the Madonna Inn. And it's a film crew out there doing like, you know, an action picture. And there's some kind of shenanigans going on with the stunts and like somebody's killing the stuntmen and stuff. But they actually film inside the rooms at the Madonna Inn. I don't haven't heard about that. That's really interesting. I never knew about it because it was on. I couldn't believe it that it was all filmed around San Luis Obispo. And this was like from like 1976 or seven. Oh, interesting. Uh, Arachnophobia is the big Cambria movie. It was filmed. Um, oh, really? Locations around here. And one of the main houses is around the corner from um, where I'm at right now. And uh, yeah, so that's a, uh, if you like spiders or don't like spiders or if you want to be scared by <laughs> There you go. Go watch Arachnophobia. But yeah, we would love to have you. It would be good times. And, uh, you know, if it happens this year, great. If, if not, put it on your calendar for another year. But it'd be super cool to be here. Like I said, I'm hoping. We'll see. But uh, anyways, thank you so much, uh, Alan. And thank you uh, for listening to the show, Movie Morlock at moviemorlock.com. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again. Bye. Bye.